Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the program. Tonight, I am joined by noted poet, Diana Howard. Diana's newest book is Winter Solstice. Hello, Diana. Hello, Michael. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. I'm, I'm more than pleased that you're here. Let's begin this journey, all right? I'm ready. All right. My very first question to you, what is poetry? And my answer is going to be something that I wrote when I was attending a workshop at University of Iowa. It's a writing festival that they have every summer. We were asked to write about what is poetry. So this is what I wrote. I combined two little paragraphs. What is poetry but a holy act of giving power to words, stirring emotion, challenging thought? To meet its true purpose, it must be read aloud. It must be shared. Poetry is life. It is the sour and the sweet, the tough and the tender, the loud and the quiet, the wise and the ignorant. It is prairie winds and city smog, dense woods and ocean deep, small steps and giant leaps. Poetry is life. Wow. (laughs) I like that a lot. Poetry is life. Expound upon that just a little bit more about it being life. Well, I think, first of all, any topic, any feeling, any experience, um, you will find something written about it somewhere. You think of the millions of, millions of writers that they are around the world, and, and almost every topic and every feeling has been, been written about over and over again. And so it's, um, and lots of times we can't say enough about some things, so... It's beautiful. What are some of the predominant themes of your work? Well, certainly nature comes into, I've had several people in the last few months ask me the same question. And and I spent uh, a childhood spending a lot of time in nature, uh, hunting mushrooms with my father, uh, picking bittersweet in the wintertime with my mother, um, and just without, you know, as a young child, just we were outside all the time and loved animals and loved everything about nature. So that just comes in. I think there are a lot of wonderful metaphors that a poet can use, use with nature as mm. well. Very nice. And then I Your also, book. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, please, please continue. Well, I was just going to say, and, and also I, I, I do tend to make social commentary in, in a lot of my poems. Not political commentary necessarily, but but just just on on being human. All right, being human. Let's focus on your book for a minute or two. Tell me about okay. Winter Solstice. What inspired it? What inspired it? Well, um, my mother was a singer and voice teacher, and lost my father when she was sixty-three years old. And so, um, after I was married and gone, she 
like he passed away soon after and uh so we lived apart she was 10 hours five hours for a lot of years and now 10 hours um away from me and so we spent a lot of time on the phone and but as she got into her mid 70s um i, I you know i see a lot of things now michael that that i couldn't see then and that's the journey that's the difficult journey of someone who is living with someone with dementia, any kind of dementia, is that um, when they're in their own environment, they're pretty much the same most of the time. And you, so I would go and visit her in her own home, and I guess you know, I just wouldn't see, the, I wouldn't see things necessarily. And, and um, so I, I sort of, and I've written a poem about this, but I sort of learned the hard way. My, my siblings and I all did. You know, we were always playing catch up to where she was uh, mentally and emotionally. Um, she worked until she was 82 years old, and it was miraculous that she could even drive herself to the university where she taught. I mean, it was, wow. we don't know how she did it. <laughs> it was wow. Wrote, actually, because she'd done it for 45 years. And so, you know, because out of her environment, she didn't know where she was, didn't know what to do you know, at that stage. So, so I started well, writing. The, mm-hmm. I started writing. Well, um, any time I visit her or when I get off a phone call with her, I, I felt a, uh, such a loss at not being able to be closer to her and help her yes. with things. And so I just spent a lot of time writing about, you know, numerous experiences. I, I have over 75 poems that I've written and they're not certainly not all in the book. I thought that would be too depressing for people to have to read that much. But right. Um, I understand. But, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Well please share a poem. Okay. I think I will the the book is in four parts and I have quotations at the beginning of each of the four parts and it's chronological. So I start when she's still in her own home. Um, before I start at the first, uh, with the first epigraph, I'm going to read the beginning of the book. There's a picture of my mother, and it says, Memory, writing our story, continually searching for pieces that fit. Like a beating heart, its existence is taken for granted, ignored until it no longer functions. It is as driven as the blood that winds through our veins. It is as fragile as our last breath. Memory, remembered or forgotten, lives on borrowed time. Okay, we'll start with the first section. Diana, I remember the important things. Her house rests quietly in the corner of an aged brick cul-de-sac. It is ordinary, unassuming. What distinguishes it as out of the ordinary, for a criminal that is, is that an old woman lives there a woman who is kind, forgiving, and a little forgetful, a woman who can't quite tell anymore what is true and what is false, a woman who gives, gives more than she takes. For eight, for eight years, he has kept her company, taken her money. She won't press charges, can't press charges, because she feels complicit. She isn't the only one who feels that way. We help her move. She never speaks of him again. The end. 
Please share another. Do you want me to keep keep going? Okay. Yes. Yes, share another. All right. All right. This is called Mother. Mother seems not ready to lay down her arms. She may never be ready to give up faith that her world is still of her own making. Yet how can she, how can we keep looking for silver linings when even the hawk has lost his way? It appeared at my feeder, seeming unsure of how to use the primal power in its talons. I knew something had changed when a chickadee began feeding just beneath its roost, a chickadee that will lower its body temperature on the earth's coldest days to preserve its ability to fly and to sing. Mother is the chickadee, mother is the hawk, and still matriarch of all. Very nice. Very nice. As you think about writing Winter Solstice, what did you learn about yourself writing this book? Hmm. What did I learn about myself? Um, well, I that I could write my emotion better than I could mm-hmm. speak it. All right. Um, All right. Yeah, do you want more? Yes, if you have more. <laughs> if you have more. Well, well, that was the main thing, I think. I was really surprised at how I could put things on paper that it would, I would never be able to vocalize. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, All right. And I guess that's what mm-hmm. makes, me a, makes me a poet. All um, right. Well, speaking of being a poet, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Oh, well, when I was a child. Okay. When I was a child, yeah. Um, and you're going to ask me to quote something, but, you know, all of the child craft books, um, the poetry ones especially, um, mm-hmm. filled with poetry. And, and my mother read to us every night before bed. And um, so I, I didn't understand poetry um, as a writing form until I was in high school. All right. And wrote some poetry in high school. Um, took took a class in poetry in high school. But then, then things left me for quite a while. I'd say about twenty years, actually. Of, oh, really? Uh, wow, that's a long time. Yeah, just just um, due to circumstances, personal circumstances of one kind or another, I. I sort of lost touch, lost the connection with myself. And you can't be a good writer unless you're connected to what's inside. And mm-hmm. I just wasn't for quite a while. And um, my mother used to say that, um, well, I, I think I have it in one of the poems here toward the back, that she, uh, that I used to write as if, it, as if I were in a fog. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she was. She loved. She she loved my writing as she when she was older, you know, when when I was beginning to care for her in different ways. Um, but she, when I was in college, she used to send all my letters back with corrections. When I wrote letters home, yeah. So, so words words were very important in my family. Words it very sounds important. like it. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you know, all great all great writers 
have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Um, do you mean during my life or, or in the last, in my, during my period of writing? Well, um, maybe during your period of writing. My, during your period of writing, yes. Okay. Who are some of your influences? Well, oh, Mary Oliver is probably the biggest one. Um, yes, I've, I've read her poetry over and over and over again, and hope I haven't plagiarized anything. I don't think I have. <laughs> um, but, but I know I, you know, I'm not very good these days at quoting things from memory, but, mm-hmm. but I um, have all of her books and have, you know, uh, Wendell Berry is another one who writes a lot with nature. Um, most of the people, I mean, there are lots of wonderful poets, but I think Mary Oliver really was my was my main influence because she combined so much emotion with um, metaphors from nature. Now, we've talked about emotion. We, that word has been used before. Do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Ooh, these weren't on your list of questions. You know that, right? I told you that I would ask other <laughs> questions. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I have all these answers written out. Um, okay, so. That's Wing it, Diana. I, I do think, I, yes, I do think there's different kinds of poetry, and I think um, there are there's poetry that describes events, you know, and um, there's poetry that's um, really musical, but isn't necessarily a real strong emotion about some particular topic, you know. So there's all kinds of all kinds of things. So I think yes, I'm a very emotional right. person, so it's hard it's all hard right. for me to not write from emotion. So. All right, I understand. I understand. Well, please share another poem before we take a quick break. Okay. Okay, just one second here. I'm going to read the second uh, vignette real quick. Diagnosis, middle stage dementia. Well, it starts with, Diana, I want you to take care of me like I took care of my mother. Diagnosis, middle stage dementia. Her music will be the last thing to go because it is what she knows best. They say she will lose pieces of herself and forget how to connect with others. They say she will feel confused and bounce between the present and the past, that she will cling to a picture, a word, or a touch, that people might take, that people might take advantage of her. They say not to argue with her, correct her, or judge her. She can't help it, they say. What they don't say is how to answer her questions, like what happened to all my music? Where is my car? When can I go home? Mm. I'm paused because going? I'm just I'm overwhelmed with just the experience that you that you had working with your mother. I just, it overwhelms mm-hmm. me. Oh. It really does. Can I do well, take a one? brief break? Yes, please. Okay. I love it. Okay. Want me to keep going? One more? Yes. Right. Yes, one more. Okay. All right. This is this is this is one of my favorite ones that really speaks to the 
confusion that we struggled with. Notes to self. Address the car situation, the running of a red light, the turning into an oncoming lane. Impress strongly upon her that as her passenger, I cannot know what she is going to do before she does it. Take car keys away. Make signs to remind her how to take her medicine, take a shower, pay her bills, feed her cat, work the television, take her room key with her, dial the telephone, look at the clock, remind her to look at the signs, take the signs down, learn how to grieve, remind myself that Mm. everyone's grief is different, remind myself that everyone's grief is the same. Listen to the sound of her voice in my head. Tears are good. Wow. We'll be right back. I'm here with Diana Howard. This is a call-in show. The number is 646-787-1631. And, Diana, you have a number of callers. Let's tune in to them to see what they'd like to share with you. All right? Okay. That's perfectly All right. fine. All right. Area code 928. The first three numbers are 778. You're on the air with Diana. Do you have a question? Good evening. Hello. Hello. Yes. Are you there? Well, maybe they're just here to listen, Diana. Let's try okay. another. Area code 239. The first three numbers are 850. You're on the air with Diana. Good evening. Hello. Hello. Yes. Are you there? <laughs> You have a lot of people who like. (laughs) Hello to whoever. They're listening as well. Let's try another. Area code 631. The first three numbers are 252. You're on the air with Diana. Good evening. Hello. Diana. Yes. Good evening. Yes. Hello. Hello, Diana. This is John. How are you? Hi, John. I'm great. I'm enjoying your show, listening to you, read your poetry. I love your book. Thank you. Oh, you're so you welcome. A, Thank you, John. <laughs> do you have a question for Diana? I do not. I know Diana very well. I'm just listening. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, John. Area, <laughs> area code 239. The first three numbers are 443. You're on the air with Diana. Good evening. Hello. I guess they're listening as well, Diana. 
Let's continue this journey okay. there. A couple more. All right. You're very popular. All right. Area code, wow, there's so many of them. Area code 239. The first three numbers are 849. You're on the air with Diana. Hello, good evening. Yes. My name is Joe Pacheco. How are you? Hello. How well? How are you? Diana, how are you? I'm great, Joe. Thank you for thank Listen, you for listening tonight. Diana, could you read your favorite poem from your collection? Um, what I is certainly your... will. I was I was going to. Um, I was going to read it at the end, but I can read it whenever um, Michael oh, thinks I should. Well, you, I will right. identify fa- it as such. I will identify poem, it as such. Not from the collection, if you want. <laughs> anyway, well, I, I have happen to be. I happen to be. I have the pleasure of being a member of Diane's uh, poetry critique uh, group, and she's one of our stars. Okay, oh, so oh, very nice. Diane. <laughs> you are very, very kind, sir. Uh, yeah. That's Back beautiful. At you. <laughs> thank uh, you so much for calling in. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. Then I got thank you, right. Okay, Diane, it's great. Good luck. Thank All right, we've go. got one more here. One more here. Okay. Area code 239. The first three numbers are 410. You're on the air with Diana. Good evening. Hello? <laughs> well, all right, then. There, there's another person who's here to listen, Diana. Let's, let's continue this journey. Share a poem for us. Okay. This is, this is called Assisted Living. And I, I'd like to preface this really quickly by, by saying that we had just moved my mother into assisted living, and she was approached in the hallway numerous times by a gentleman who actually lived upstairs with his wife. But he was, you know, sort of, sort of interested in her, and she didn't have a clue what was going on, but the staff did, and... I think it was triggering for my mother and reminded her of my father, um, I'm guessing. But um, So the poem is about um, an experience that I had talking with her about it after the staff had approached me and told me what was happening. So it's called Assisted Living. The staff told her no, that the man from upstairs was off limits, that being with him in an intimate way or even just their hands entwined under the table at dinner needed to stop. They don't allow secrets here, Mom. I love him, she says. What do you love, I ask. He kissed me, she says in a voice that betrays her innocence. After 25 years, a kiss can open the most closeted heart. He's married, Mom. Tears well in her eyes. I could tell it didn't matter. Wasn't I married, she asks. Yes, Mom, for 40 years. There were the tears again, revealing a palpable loss. She didn't need any assistance with remembering what it felt like to matter to someone. Hmm. 
How does a poem begin for you, Diana, with an idea, a form, or an image? Um, I would say mostly an idea, but sometimes an image, rarely a form, unless it's an assignment in a class or something. Um, mm -hmm. All right. Tell me about the idea. What? How does that come about? Oh, that you're able to put it on paper. You know, some, yeah, just just a, a feeling I'm having, something something that I see, something that I hear on the news, something I read somewhere, um, a conversation I maybe overheard. Uh, I don't know. You know, just hundreds. of experiences in my life um yeah just i i really i think i'm always i'm always seeing things in a mm -hmm. in a creative way in a way that i'm sort of analyzing it and you know taking it apart and so um and and that's with the an idea with nature it's more it's more uh how my emotions are triggered when i'm out in nature how mm -hmm how I feel like um, the things that I see and write about represent represent metaphorically things in my life, feelings that I have, experiences, you know. So, um, yeah, and I think in addition to that, um, I start with just it's pretty free-flowing, you know. All I, right. I just started, I, I jot, jot things down. I have, I have a whole list of statements about different things and some of them some of them I really like some of them I you know cross out and then and um, don't don't do much analyzing about it until I start putting it into a poem into the form into a form and I do mostly free verse not all free verse yes. but mostly free verse and so um, but even within free verse I'm continually you know and my poetry group is wonderful at helping me with this um, continually critiquing and revising. You know, I had a I had a teacher one time, uh, again at a workshop in Iowa City, that said, "If you haven't re if you haven't revised your poem 15 times, you haven't mm. spent enough time with it." Mm. So, you, you know, there's so a I statement that I like that to as, a, as a model. Yes, I absolutely do. Well, here's here's a and here's that's one of my favorite something. parts. That's one of my favorite things to do is to revise. Really? Because my question to you, and you've already answered it, but I'll ask the question anyway, is that some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? And you've talked about the importance of yeah. revising, so you love it. You love it. Yeah. What do you love about I, it? I think when what I do you talk, love about it? When I talk about, I'm, what do I know about it? Is that what you're asking? No, what do you, what do you love about revising what your do, work? What do I love about it? Well, I love, I love that I can take something that has, has some heart to it and, mm -hmm. and has an idea that, that's good, um, but the words are all over the place. You know, I, um, like I'll give you a prime example. Last night my poetry group met. And the poem that I submitted and read last night, it was suggested that instead of having three words in a row that ended in ing, I should take away the ing. 
Well, it was an excellent suggestion, and I loved it, mm-hmm. and it made the poem even better. It made it more concise, oh, wow. but also in a way more powerful. So, um, All right. So that's, yeah, that's a good example. Oh, very nice. Please share another poem. Okay. Well, because, the, because it's the title of the book, I think I have to read Winter Solstice. Yes. There is clarity for there is clarity for me as this on this first day of yet another winter, as I have learned from winter's past. I watch a doe scrape frozen ground, searching for what she remembers, her coat thick, gray, and heavy with the task of survival. Still, I can see to the river and beyond. Winter does this for me with its absence of color, its thinning of branches and leaves. It has taught me to look a little closer at a ground strip bare at trees flailing in the winter wind to embrace the hope that lies beneath. The end. Wow. Tell me about the title. When I first saw it, I was like, Winter Solstice. How is she capturing the Winter Solstice? Tell me more. Well, I think, you know, Little did I know that there are about 400 other books titled Winter Solstice. Um, okay. <laughs> didn't know that at the time. If you go to book reads, you can find that out. But, um, but I, think, I think I know that the Alzheimer's Association actually, actually uses the summer solstice as their metaphor for, for um, the disease and, and for their fundraising efforts. And, but, but I think that... Um, and the picture on the outside of my book, I think, even describes it more. I, I, I think that there's a darkness and a, a, a fogginess, a cold um, in the wintertime that, that represents the, represents the, uh, the symptoms and the progression of, of dementia that, that, Things just, I, I imagine the inside of my mother's brain that was once so colorful and clear. Yes. Uh, you know, toward the end, I saw, I, I could imagine it with just um, fog, you know, just fog and, or, or sheets of ice, um, you know, that, were, and that was um, unpenetrable. So I said here, I say here, uh, losing memory is a fierce blizzard. Blinding snow fools a weary traveler down an unfamiliar road. Like scattered diamonds, frost gathers. Fallen leaves and prairie grass seeds lift into the air as bitter winds wipe the sidewalk clean. And that's what happens. Wow. I'm overwhelmed. I know. Does writing? I know. This, I don't mean that. You've had a rough couple of weeks, too, so I'm sorry. Well, but that's fine. I mean, it's so important to share. Poetry is a beautiful way of expressing yourself. It's a perfect way to vent. Even during the time mm-hmm. of bereavement, it's a perfect way to, to just get it out of your soul, out of your system. Put it on paper. I, I I, I admire you so much. Well, let me ask this question. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Oh, it energizes me totally. Tell me more. Tell me more. 
Well, because it's fun. It's fun to be able mm-hmm. to use words, uh, to use words in a way that 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 touch someone, um, or makes a makes a, a poignant statement or a or a strong statement about about something. And um, I guess I love words. You know, I I didn't know I loved words for a long time, but it's really mm-hmm. a part of me, and it's been a part of me since I was probably two years old. Uh, wow, I do appreciate you, it so you, much more now than. Well, do you Go think ahead. you were born to be a poet? <laughs> I think I was. I don't know if I was born to be a poet, but I was raised raised in an atmosphere where words were extremely important. All right. Um, and and knowing the meanings of words. Um, I always used to say my dad my my dad did the New York Times crossword puzzle in pen. Oh. So words were huge for him. Both my parents yes. they weren't writers. They weren't writers, mm-hmm. but they did a lot of writing. They did a lot of writing. But they they weren't writers. I mean, they didn't try and you know, they they just were good at writing. And so I guess I really they were strong influences in my life. Yes, it sounds like it. You know, as you think about writing poetry, your own poetry, has a poem ever humbled or frightened you that you've written? Hmm. Uh, that's a hard question for me to answer. Humbled in the sense right. that I was in awe, you mean? Okay. Or... All right. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've been amazed, <laughs> and I don't mean this in an egotistical way at all. I just, but I, I, when I first started writing seriously about 30 years ago, I, mm-hmm. I would read something to someone, and they'd say, "Wow, you just have a really have a way with words." I'd never mm-hmm. heard that before in my entire life, and I, I, I said, "Nah, you know what?" But, but I was, I've grown to see it. That I that I that I enjoy doing that. I enjoy trying to use words to describe situations or to or to um, describe feelings or to you know. I just love using words in a poetic way. And I've spent a lot of time the last ten years mm-hmm. really learning how to write poetry because I was it was just all winging it. I really hadn't been instructed. I majored in English in college, but I didn't I didn't. I didn't uh, focus on poetry for a long time. Yes. Not until I was yes. about 30, 37. So. Well, you do have a way with words, and I could listen to you share all the evening. Please give us another, another poem. Okay. Well, here's the third vignette. Diana, and this was what my mother had been. By this time, she had been in, in assisted living and we had actually already moved her into memory care when she says, Diana, I think I will stay here. It is a nice place, don't you think? As I push her, che- as I push her wheelchair around the, along, excuse me, let me start over. As I push her wheelchair along the cement path, she seems anxious, as if each crack in the sidewalk is a threat. She hasn't spoken to me for hours, except to ask where her daughter is. 
We stopped to feel the breeze and watch the river wandering around rocks at the bottom of the hill. She turns her face toward me, puts her hand on mine and says, I don't want to live like this anymore. Hmm. The thing about clogged synapses, sometimes they clear and words sneak through. I hug her and whisper, I know. So after we move to the amendment, you want me to go to a poem? Yes, please, please. Yes, I love it. When we moved her her into memory care, she couldn't bring her cat with her, which was really for the cat a blessing because she had locked it in the closet several times and she lived in a small little studio in in assisted Mm -hmm. living and and the cat needed more attention than my mother was able to give her. So, um, but she couldn't bring it into memory care. So they suggested to me that I buy her a stuffed animal, stuffed cat, you know, like that you'd buy for a child. And so I did that. And then I left and went back to South Dakota. And the nurse called me the next day and said that the cat had arrived. And this is what she. This is what happened when my mother um, opened the box. Cat came in a box. She wondered who would have done such a thing. Who put you in there with no food or water? She says aloud. She points to the piles of graying snow outside her window. You must stay inside with me, she says, wondering just for a moment why Cat doesn't move. Cat lies on her lap while she eats her soup. The others at the table comment on Cat's startled look, his calm demeanor. He came in a box, she says. She says cats are not allowed in her small tiled room. Cat sleeps beside her, his paw hugging her shoulder. Cat guards, this makes me teary, sorry. Cat guards the privacy of her shower. Cat likes to be held. She can't bear the thought of cat being abandoned, of cat having no one to hold him or stroke him or feed him. She weeps when she thinks of abandonment. What moves you to write a poem? What's the core impulse for you? Well, I think it's to acknowledge acknowledge something that I've witnessed or acknowledge a feeling mm-hmm. um, to give give credence, I guess, to it somehow or to explore it maybe. Sometimes it's just exploring it. All right. All right. I like that. You know, if you were asked to share with a colleague or a friend the premise, the purpose of winter solstice, what would you say? If you had to convince them to read it, what would you say? What might you tell them? Um, well, I, I, I don't know that I would ever convince someone to read it, but what I would, what I would say is that this is, this is a memoir and, and okay. of sorts. And so this is, this is a, these writings in this book are based on my true experiences as I interpreted them with my mother over a period of 15 years and I'm not going to change anyone's mind by sharing mm-hmm. it necessarily. What I hope to do is to, well, I will preface this by saying that I felt 
even though I had three siblings, and we all got along tremendously well in dealing with my mother, even though we lived in different parts of the country. Um, yes. But, but I basically felt alone. I had the 36-hour day that the Alzheimer's Association put out, but I had no one to talk to, no group to go to. Um, I, I, I felt tremendous guilt at living so far away from her because, as you remember yes. at the beginning, she, she wanted me to be the one to care for her. And yes. not that she didn't love my siblings dearly because she did, but I was the oldest daughter, and that's what my mom did for her mother and who also had dementia. And so I, I, it, was, it was hard for me, and I, I just w- hope that this book lets people know that, that one, how hard it is, Mm-hmm. Um, and that they they aren't alone. That there are people all over the world dealing with the exact same thing in one way or another. Very nice. So. Very very nice. Very nice. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Diana Howard. Diana, please share a poem. Okay. I wrote this when I was on a plane flying home after having spent some time with my mother. Departure leaves me thick with grief. Perhaps over time my tender heart will toughen. There is no manual for how to feel as I watch her eyes no longer exploring or revealing, her arms needing placement for hugs. She always feared she would linger too long in a vacuum of tangled memories that tug and taunt without warning. If she could, she would go. If I could, I would take her. You know, Diana, so much is happening in the world today. So much is happening. What do you see as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Um, well, I think it's – well, I think, one, it's to, to know that it's okay to, to express yourself with poetry and to put it mm-hmm. out there however you can. Mm-hmm be it social media, Facebook, whatever. I mean, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not of a, I'm not the social media generation necessarily, but, um, but I do share some of my poetry with, Mm -hmm. with people on Facebook. And, um, I think it's, 
I think it's really important that that we see what's inside someone else. And I wish everyone wrote poetry because I think then we would see each other. <laughs> you know, so they could see inside their hearts more, you know, it's, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it, it's a wonderful way to uh, work against division. I like that. And that's I really do. Of, that's off the top of my head. <laughs> All right. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Tell, tell me about the writing group that you work with. Um, well, this is with um, Poetry Alliance of Southwest Florida, and um, mm-hmm. I don't live in Florida full time, but I, but we try. My husband and I try and live there six months out of the year. We have for the last, um, no, quite a few years, and so I, I, I don't remember exactly how I got into the first group and my group today is a mix of a couple of different groups. And so, mm-hmm. um, but I got to, I, I just began seeking out um, through the Gulf coast, uh, Gulf coast writers association, just located yes. in Fort Myers. Um, I made contact with some poets and I, and I was submitted some poems to see if I could be a part of their group. And so they were kind enough to accept me, um, you know, years ago and, and, What's interesting about the pandemic, um, up until a couple of years ago, I would only get to be a part of the group for about four or five, you know, four or five times during the year. Um, mm-hmm. For a while, we just met once a month, and so, so it would only be four or five times during that entire year that I would have a chance to share with them. But then, um, after the pandemic started, um, I actually suggested to, to. Um, uh, the group that I was in or that I'm in now that was also in a couple of years ago that maybe we could try Zooming and mm-hmm. so we really, I think um, now we meet twice, you know, we meet twice a month and we were meeting twice a month then too but but now we're Zoom, we're still Zooming and meeting twice a month. Oh, wow. And wow, that's so nice. It, it, it's worked out, yeah, it's worked out really well. So. Very nice. And we get to see each other Does, without being, you know, we're not making physical contact, but we're, we get to see each other too, which is nice. Yeah, that, that's always nice. You know, you've written and this book. You've written, well, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> You're a wonderful poet, and working with them, I'm sure, is even better. Fantastic. You've had an opportunity to write more than one work. Does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world validate your being a poet, or are you content knowing that they're out of your system? Well, I think it's, I think it's, I love that, I love that other people are reading, reading what I've written. Um, I didn't consider myself really a poet for a long time, even though I was writing right. a lot of poetry. And publishing is extremely difficult. Um, yes, it is. To get things. And so I, that's not my focus most of the time, actually. Um, but I also have written um, a couple of, uh, three children's books. And so yes. um, that has taken up a lot of my time, too. But, um, but I think, you know, I... I think it's I like I wrote one time after coming home from Iowa City this was like 2012 
um, I I wrote that I finally felt validated, like it was something I could do, because um, mm. I didn't have a lot of faith in myself, I guess, at the time, and um, so I just really I just enjoy it more than anything. I just enjoy it. I enjoy Very sharing nice. sharing words words with people. So. All right. Well, we're almost at the end of our journey together. Would you share two more poems for us? I sure will. This is the fourth vignette. Thank you for coming. She is dying. She has had enough of pills, diaper changes, the struggle to comprehend. We hold her hand, sing to her. She is still. Thank you for coming, she says, her cheek resting against my hand. The next day, her breathing slows, stops, then starts, then stops. She is at peace. Mm. The next one. Eulogy. In my dream, you had died. It was expected that I would eulogize you, which I thought would only happen in a dream. I talked about your endearing smile, about the hundreds of lives you influenced through your teaching. I spoke of your heart, how it opened and closed with the cautious randomness that I could never quite predict. I shared with them all your imaginative ideas about primal vowel sounds and those melodic notes present from birth always at your core, waiting to be sung. You were, I recalled emphatically, a kind person. In my dream, I deeply mourned your passing. I woke to an unimagined silence. Wow. The poem Eulogy, is that the favorite poem that the gentleman wanted you to share? No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> The favorite okay. one was Winter Solstice, actually. I'm sorry. Okay. But I also, actually, the last, the last poem, in, why don't I just end with the last poem in the book? Fantastic. So, should I do that? Okay. Yes, I love so then, it. Because the, end, the ending of it is my favorite, is my favorite. So. It's called Remembering. I called it quirky when she skipped a bill payment, lost her car in a grocery, car, grocery parking lot, Forgot to pick me up at the airport. Diana, I remember the important things. I couldn't bear the thought of her declining like her mother did, forgetting how to sing, to teach, forgetting to feed her cat. Diana, I want you to take care of me. I remember the morning she phoned to tell me how she went with a drug dealer to cash a $2,000 check at 2 a.m. the night before. Diana, my friend said I should call you. I was on the next available plane. When I arrived at her house, I heard her playing the piano, a favorite Mozart concerto. Diana, it's so nice to see you. It was a visit that began a nine-year journey of goodbyes, mine alone, because she couldn't remember hers. This is a nice room, don't you think? We moved the piano with her. We moved a small pile of music. She played and sang. It was all she knew to do. Her music will be the last thing to go because it is what she knows best. After she died, I began to know her in a different way. She wrote stories, kept a journal, deeply loved my dad. It's important that we use our voice, she wrote. 
I found a video I made when visiting her a year before she died. She was singing to me. Do you remember the words, I asked? I'm not sure, she said. She tapped, then slapped the arm of her chair in time with the rhythm, humming, then whistling, then humming, a part of her needing to get it right. That's how it's done, she said. Diana. Yes. You write exceptionally well. I enjoyed hearing every word, every word. I was touched by every word. And I want to thank you so much for being my guest. Well, thank you, Michael. I so appreciate um, you having me. It's, it's, it's really been an honor. Well, thank you so much. You're a wonderful person. The, well, thank you. <laughs> I always like hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> Well, and so are you, and so are you. <laughs> All right, good people. I want to thank the callers. I want to thank the listeners. No, 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 what? Wait a minute, Diana, what's next for you creatively? Where do you go from here? Well, I I have a children's book that's just just getting ready to be sent to be published, and so that's the next thing on my list that will happen in the next few weeks probably. And uh, And then – I don't know. I have lots of you know, lots of different. Um, started a project several years ago where I, each poem dealt with a specific word, and I'd like to go back and and work mm-hmm. on that. And mm-hmm. we'll see. I don't. I don't know. I don't have any. I don't have anything on my list necessarily. So it'll come. Well, I wish you. I wish you the best in all of your endeavors. All of your endeavors. Again, to our listening audience, I'd like to thank you again for for being with us every week. And as I share every week, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. So thank you so much, and good night. Good night. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.